Hello Proximity Church, it is so good to be with you on video. <laughs> I know that this wasn't what any of us were planning and I'm really sad not to be with you in person. But I am really, really happy that I'm going to get to share a little bit of what I've been learning um, through your series on simplicity, love and justice. And I want to start by saying thank you so much for deciding to study this because I've been unpacking simplicity quite a bit over the past month as I've been preparing this session. And I'll be honest, it's not really something that I'd ever considered as part of Christian faith before. It sounds more like some kind of interior design term or well-being venture. And also, I think it's quite apt that you guys are studying this because we're all being forced into a simpler, slower way of being with coronavirus restrictions right now. This session feels particularly relevant. I've been working my way through Richard Foster's book, The Freedom of Simplicity, and it's kind of blowing my mind a little bit. And if you haven't got hold of it or you haven't read it, I really, really recommend that you get hold of it. Um, you can get it on Kindle um, for not very much money. So just a heads up if anyone's looking for some reading while we're all indoors for a little bit. <laughs> so today we're going to go on a bit of a deep dive into simplicity. And for those of you who like to know where we're going, I am one of those people who likes to know where we're going. Here are the three headings. Number one, simplicity the Jesus way. What does Jesus have to say about all of this? Number two, fostering inner simplicity. What does it look like for us to bring our souls into this? and think about how to simplify our souls. And then the final part, number three, enacting outer simplicity. How do we actually outwork this stuff in our day-to-day -day lives? So that's where we're gonna go. And for each of the sections, I have also sent through some questions, which are designed for you to go through on your own if you're watching this on your own, or you can phone up a friend and talk them through, or you can discuss them in your small house groups and um, if you're with a couple of people. It's a bit of a strange setup, but I'm really hopeful that the questions will be really helpful for you as you sit and think about them, even though um, we're not all together in one place. So that's where we're going. And so there is one question for you to think about right now. And I will leave you to think about that. So, section one. Simplicity, the Jesus way. I find it really interesting that if you search the word simplicity in the dictionary, it splits into three categories. Something that is easy, something that is natural, and something that is plain. 
if we decided to apply these qualities to our lives, having an easy or a natural or a plain life, sounds a bit weird. We probably wouldn't feel like we were living out our faith very well indeed. I also doubt that many of us at the minute feel like our lives are easy or plain, especially not at the moment. We live in a society though that calls us over and over again to be busy, to do more, to succeed, to triumph, to work as hard as we can. And not just to do more, but to have more. We are bombarded with stuff and technology that claims to make our lives better. After Christmas, I came back to my shared house to find that two of my housemates had got Alexas. We had a very strange couple of evenings seeing how helpful Alexa really was. It turns out that she knows how long to cook parsnips for in the oven, which is very good, 20 to 25 minutes apparently, but she doesn't understand the term braising. Although that also could have been my Northern Irish accent, so we'll never know. But this is the world that we live in now. We are being told that more stuff will help us live more efficiently or more easily. In contrast to our busy, stuff-oriented world, Jesus has quite a lot to say about simplicity. So we're going to read together from Matthew chapter 6 and we're going to start at verse 19. And because I'm not with you in person, I have no idea if you have your Bibles with you. So you might want to pause this if you need to grab them. But I'm going to read from my phone Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, and we're going to read till 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. 
are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single R to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When I was a teenager, I used to read these words semi-frequently and think, wow, that's so nice that Jesus is encouraging me not to worry. What lovely wisdom. But John Mark Homer, in his recent book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, explains to us that Many of us always read Jesus' teachings as the desired way that we should live, or, like teenage me, as a warm hug of encouragement. But John Mark suggests, what if Jesus is actually telling us this is the way the world actually is? So Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't serve two masters, but no one can serve two masters. Not try not to serve God and money, but you cannot serve God and money. Statements that are factually true. That's how the world actually works. John Mark says this, for Jesus it's a non-option. You cannot serve God and the system. You simply can't live the freedom way of Jesus and get sucked into the overconsumption that is normal in our society. The two are mutually exclusive. You have to pick. The two are mutually exclusive. You cannot serve God and the system. <sighs> Harsh words. And all of this makes this passage a little bit more challenging than a warm hug of encouragement. This is emphasised in verse 22 of our passage, where Jesus says the quite strange phrase, the eye is the lamp of the body. This reference to a single eye is actually a metaphor that's familiar to those in Jesus' day, which is why it might sound a bit weird to us. It's an ancient term that means both a single aim in life and a generous, unselfish spirit. Richard Foster explains these two things were so intertwined in Hebrew. A single aim in life and a generous, unselfish spirit that they are expressed in this one single phrase, the single I. So here, 
Jesus is warning us of the negative consequences of not being focused on God and generosity in quite a dramatic way. The warning that we will be filled with darkness is quite intense, (laughs) but that's how serious it is and that's how significant it is. We are called to be generous. We are called to be focused on God. And finally, what's so interesting about this teaching of Jesus is that you might see it's kind of split into two halves. So the first half is focusing on the impact things have on our heart, first of all, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then on our body, if your eyes are healthy, your body will be filled with light. And then also on our worship, you will love one, hate the other, do not serve God in many. The second half focuses on worry. But in the middle, you might have noticed, there's a linking phrase. Therefore, I tell you. Do not worry. There is a link between what we worry about and what we focus our heart, body and worship on. The Jesus way of simplicity is focusing our heart, body and worship on God. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This, Jesus tells us, is the way to live simply. The way not to worry. Which sounds good, right? So in the next section, we're going to unpack a little bit more on how to do that. But there are a few questions for you to discuss next. So, part two, fostering inner simplicity. Jesus' response to the challenge of living in our world sounds simple. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. But the reality of this little sentence is to put everything in our lives aside. Our food, clothing and material needs and seek God's way first. And how do we seek God's way? By seeking God. Simplicity begins in the quiet, intimate, daily interactions with our Father. It's about our inner relationship, us and God. But it doesn't happen by accident. We have to be intentional about seeking. Recently, I realised I was getting really distracted first thing in the morning with what had happened on my phone overnight. I was fine at avoiding social media because I use it a lot for my job, but often I'd receive a news notification or a message from a friend that would distract my mind away from prayer rather than focusing on it. So I decided 
to put my phone on aeroplane mode every night from 10pm and until I had my morning quiet time the next day. That focus has reminded me to literally seek first, first thing in the morning, the kingdom of God and to entrust my day to God before everything else. We have to work to seek God's kingdom. It doesn't just happen to us. But if you're anything like me, your life and brain can take over and distract you. We all start with good intentions, but we can lose track quickly. Have you ever started a quiet time and then realised five minutes later that you're actually thinking about something completely different? I've done this so many times. Especially with so much news and uncertainty that we're finding ourselves in at the moment. There is so much to think about, so much to process so much to worry about and it can so quickly spread into our breakfast time or into our quiet time or into our afternoon and into dinner and before we know it our minds haven't switched off altogether. So often our internal noise takes over. Richard Foster in his book explains it really well. He says that we have many selves within us that fight for their own interests. The business self, the energetic self, the religious self, the sensible how much food do I need self. He argues that the only way to calm down the busy within us is to centre ourselves on God. He calls this the divine centre. The power and presence of God is the only way our perspective can be aligned. And it's not just something bookmarked for the morning or the evening. Every moment of our day, we can re-still our souls and center on God. Seek first the kingdom of God isn't just for quiet times, it's for all times. And what if right now, in a current climate of social distancing and self-isolation, we decide to spiritually integrate our souls into what God is saying to us in every moment of our day. What would happen if we turned each worry, concern or news update into a prayer? Frank Laubach was a Christian author who came up with something called the Game with Minutes. His challenge was to try and be conscious of God in every single minute of his life. To practice the presence of God 24 seven. So quite appropriate for us. In his book, The Game With Minutes, 
he writes this. We call this a game because it is a delightful experience and an exhilarating spiritual exercise. But we soon discover it is far more than a game. Perhaps a better name for it would be an exploratory expedition because it opens out into what seems at first like a beautiful garden. Then that garden widens into a country. And at last we realise we are exploring a new world. You see, when we become God conscious or spiritually integrated, we are realigning our perspective to an eternal perspective. We are looking beyond earth and its treasures or its problems to God. But learning to be God conscious, like all things, takes time. We can't expect to be 100% aware of God's presence on day one, but we can try. That's why Frank calls it a game. We can get better, just as we can get better at tennis, or we can get better at those board games that we're playing at the minute. As we seek God's kingdom and fix our eyes upwards, we become more reliant on God in our daily lives. When we become used to God and aware of him, we can invite his power to reign in all situations and in all things. When we learn to be God conscious, when we seek God's kingdom, we begin to trust in God more than we trust in ourselves. And that means we are able to focus on seeking God's kingdom over the busyness of our minds. We have fostered inner simplicity. But of course in reality it's not that easy and in the next set of questions hopefully you'll be able to think about and talk about some of the things that help and maybe even um, you need some extra help with with inner simplicity. So part three. Enacting outer simplicity. Our friend Richard Foster says of simplicity, it is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. And we've just discussed the practical ways we can grow in our awareness of God and focus our hearts on him. The outer simplicity is where we get practical, how we outwork the reality of seeking first the kingdom of God in our daily lives, in the way that we spend our time, in the way that we spend our money, in the way that we spend our energy. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world, not to conform to the pattern of this world, as Romans tells us. And at the moment, our world is focused on stuff. We are currently, as you will be aware, in the middle of a panic buying crisis. Inward fear of coronavirus, 
is outwardly shown by frantic shopping trips to buy as much stuff as possible in the hope that the supplies of food will calm our fears. But Jesus says in contrast, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Pretty apt words for this strange time. These verses provide an exciting challenge for us as Christians about the moment that we're currently part of and the opportunity we have to seek God's kingdom in a season of fear. Some friends of mine delivered chocolate to their neighbours this week with a note saying that they were available if they needed someone to talk to or for any practical help that they might need. Within a few hours, a lot of the neighbours had been in touch with them on their phones. This is a key moment for us to ask God where we can seek the kingdom way over the way of the world, where we can act with courage and confidence because of who Jesus is. And practically speaking, we're in a moment where our lives are less busy because many of our regular activities have been cancelled. Out of simplicity isn't something we're necessarily choosing at the minute, but it is something we're able to use to our advantage. For example, I've noticed in the past week, I've talked on the phone to friends more than I've talked on the phone in years. In our usual, frantic, busy lives, we WhatsApp when we have a spare second, or we comment on each other's Instagram feeds. However, now that many of my friends are working from home, or self-isolating, or receiving fewer shifts, or if they're freelance, they're really struggling to know what to do at the minute, we have an opportunity to pause, to talk, to talk for a long period of time. And earlier in the week, one of my university friends called me with real fear about the uncertainty of his job in the future. I was able to pause my work and help him think things and talk things through. Seeking God's kingdom looked like simplifying my schedule to focus all my energy onto my friend. But how we seek simplicity outwardly will look different for each of us. Perhaps for some, it's about how we spend our money. Others, maybe how we spend this time that we've got. Others, how we invest into people or how we invest into places. However, for each of us, it comes from the same centre. It begins with seeking God's kingdom and righteousness in how we treat people and treat the world. Outer simplicity is completely linked to the inner simplicity we've just been thinking about. When we get our hearts and minds in tune with God, we understand more of the way we should be acting. How we personally are called to show the love of God 
but it begins inwardly. Everything that we've just been talking about in the last section. And this is really important. It's really important that we do not lose perspective on what this outer simplicity is supposed to achieve. So often we fall into the trap of thinking that the more we do for God, the better we become. Or the opposite, we worry that we can't stop doing because otherwise we won't be as loved by God. In both of these scenarios, we are trying to work our way into God's kingdom by doing more and more. But along the way, we lose heart. We lose God's heart for who we are. Things become complicated instead of simple. But as Richard Foster said, simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. We do out of who we are. And that is why Jesus stated that where our treasure is, there our heart will be too. When we see the treasures of the love and goodness of God, our heart becomes full of the love and the goodness of God which leads us to outwork the love and the goodness of God. We've come full circle. What our hearts, bodies, and worship is all about. That is the core of simplicity. It is a huge challenge, but it's one that if we practice can make a difference, not just to us, but to the people surrounding us. And especially in these uncharted waters, the call to seek God's kingdom and righteousness can make such a huge impact to the people around us. So this last section is a little bit shorter from me because I've left lots of space for you to think and dream about what this looks like in your community, in your house, in your life at the minute. And I just want to finish by saying that I will be praying for you as a church community, especially over this time. I'm praying that you will know God's presence and that you will see his face and that you will build up even more relationships in your community and be able to serve even more people. And I also want to send you so much love from me and from the Emmaus Road community. And I'm really excited for when we get to hang out again in person soon. So lots of love to you guys, all the best. And I really hope that the last section of these questions is encouraging to you and provides a real practical outworking of everything that we've talked through today. Thank you so much. See you soon.